Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game in Consumer Industries, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in a digital world, to run, grow, connect, and transform, to engage customers and patients across their journey. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers, you are absolutely positively in the right place. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. Well, this is an interesting topic. I have a quote from something called the Mad Street Den. Uh, this is a quote all the way back from January 2016, but I think it's still applicable. Quote, technology is reinventing the store and reimagining the customer experience. Rather than build more, experts are encouraging retailers to focus on enhancing their existing platforms and to shift their mindsets to customer behavior. That quote is absolutely packed with all kinds of things that will tell you what we're going to be talking about today, but there's one word it didn't mention, and that is fashion. So let me talk a little more here. From social showrooming, if you don't know what that is, I had to look it up. It's the practice of when you go to a store or multiple stores and you try to look at a product in person, then you buy it online and save money because the price is lower. That's showrooming. So from social showrooming to crowdsourcing, from smart curation, to sustainable fashion. The fashion industry is evolving fast, and guess what's playing a key role in how we look, how we dress, how we want to be seen? It's technology. A couple of exciting trends we may be talking about with our panelists today. IoT, that's Internet of Things sensors, and beacons recognize us when we're shopping and make personalized offers to us. Well, that can be exciting. How about near-field communications that know what the inventory of a store is and make impulse offers to nearby shoppers and even let them do contactless checkout. We'll talk about that. And here's a very exciting one. Virtual reality allows shoppers now to try on items online. That's right. You're on your computer. You're not inside the computer, and it's letting you try stuff out. And you can get style guide advice that's enabled by machine learning right online. And also blockchain is facilitating sustainable supply chains all good stuff. First up, in just a moment, I'll be introducing you to Dr. Timo Sandritter. His name is spelled just the way it sounds. He is the Chief Operations Officer at LDJ Productions, and we're going to find out in a few minutes what that is and what they do. Joining him on the panel is Andrew Miller, a Commercial Director at Keytree, K-E-Y-T-R-E-E, only one word. We'll find out what they do. And rounding out the panel, we're trying to reach Peter Akbar, Solution Manager at SAP. So so let's go back to our first panelist around the table, Dr. Timo Sandritter. Uh, I know, I think he's in an Uber somewhere on his way to an airport. We'll find out more in a couple minutes. But he has sent us a wonderful quote from Nelson Mandela. Nelson Rolala Mandela, 1818-2013, South African anti-apartheid revolutionary political leader, philanthropist, served as president of South Africa from 1994 to 99. And here's the quote, action without vision is only passing time. Vision without action is merely daydreaming, but vision with action can change the world. Timo Sandritter, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. How are you doing? 
I'm fine, thank you. You're on a cell phone in an Uber. Timo, talk to me. I love the quote. We're talking about our our topic officially is the future of fashion. Will technology dress us for success? All good ideas there. So, Timo, again, welcome. And tell me, how does this quote relate to our topic? Well, you know, I think it relates to to technology in general, um, especially in, in, I guess, my last 15 years in in the industry. And I I met so many great entrepreneurs and, and they had so many fantastic ideas but i also realized that the more they talked about the idea the less likely they were to execute on it and I, mm-hmm. it seems that it, we get a, some gratification out of just talking about it and, you know and every great idea that we have in our mind without execution is, is merely a thought and nothing else and so uh, you know when, once i found the quote um i really made it part of my livelihood that yeah even if if an idea seems mediocre, let's just execute and see where it goes. Uh, you know, and sometimes something great happens with it. And you know something, Timo, that's very interesting. It reminds me of one of the theories or the philosophies behind design thinking. Tell me if I'm right on this. Fail fast, fail off, and just do something. That's the idea, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so let's just quickly apply this to our topic today, fashion and technology and retailing and what's happening with showrooming and with, with uh, curation and all of those good things. So how, how would, what's your advice to, if we just had to cap it on this point, what would your advice be to retailers in terms of trying something new? And let's say that it's not that new. Let's say that their competitors are already doing it. Would you say give it a try, put the money in, put the time in, put the person power in, or what would you say? Well, I, I think it's with everything else, right? You want to be one of the the, um, the early people that, that try things. And even if their competitors are already doing it, you definitely want to be an, an innovator versus, you know, running after the market. I think if you if you do what everybody else does, um, you can only be second. And so from that perspective, I believe in, in taking risk. I believe you have to invest in order to gain. And so, um, you know, the retail business has clearly changed over, over the years, and it will continue to change. And um, you know, coming from the technology world, um, I do believe that uh, we're moving more and more towards technology um, in terms of solution, in terms of shopping, in terms of experiences. And so, uh, you know, with a bias, of course, I advise anybody uh, mm-hmm. that has an idea, at least give it a try. Thank you very much, Timo. Pleasure to have you. By the way, which airport are you headed to, may we ask? I, uh, I just got to LaGuardia, and I'm about to, depending on how this, this call goes, I'm the about to go through uh, security. Okay, you'll have just a couple of minutes before we come back around to ask you for, well, we know where you are, ask you what's in your cup today, what you love to drink, and a little bit about what you do at LDJ Productions. So I'll leave it up to you if you want to take a chance at getting through security if you want to wait. i tell you what, why don't you wait until I come back to you in about five minutes, ask what you're doing, and then then we will, uh, then you'll, we'll take a break and you'll have plenty of time. Does that work? Sounds great. Let's do that. We try, we try to be very accommodating on live radio to all of our travelers. Okay, up next is Andrew Miller, commercial director at Keytree. We'll find out a little bit later what he does and what the company does. And he sent us a wonderful quote. I haven't seen this quote in so long, Andrew, and it's, it's very, very famous. From Albert Einstein, 1879 to 1955, German-born theoretical physicist who developed the theory of relativity. Uh, interesting. Here's some trivia, Andrew. I don't know if you know this, but Mensa, you know, the one of the oldest uh, societies or groups of people with very high IQ. There was recently an 11-year-old girl in the UK. She's of Indian origin whose IQ on the Mensa quiz, the Mensa test, 
topped the IQ of Stephen Hawking and of Albert Einstein. Did you know that, Andrew? Confess that I didn't know that. Um, is that interesting? I, her I, name I, is her name is Kashmia Wahi. W A H I. She got a perfect 162 on the Mensa IQ test. 11 years old. Everybody's in shock. And the IQ of Einstein and of Stephen Hawking were just 160. What? Just 160? Let me read the quote. I'm having too much fun with this. Einstein said. If I had an hour to solve a problem and my life depended on the solution, I would spend the first 55 minutes determining the proper question to ask. For once I know the proper question, I could solve the problem in less than five minutes. I love that quote. Andrew Miller, officially welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? I'm very good, Bonnie. Thank you very much. And thank you also for not opening the call with asking me my own IQ. So I'm Oh, you are charming. I have to tell you, Andrew, that years ago, well, I just moved to Durham, North Carolina from New York. I I was born and raised in Queens, New York, but I lived on Long Island the last 35-something years. But uh, when I was early coming back to New York from the West Coast, where I moved many years ago, I decided to join Mensa. And I took, I found out from whatever, high school or college, whatever, I had a, an IQ score on, on file and I applied and they accepted me. I went to one meeting and I said, nope, this is not for me. I'll tell you why off air. But it was, I was looking to meet, meet people. Pocket protectors and lunch boxes from mom were not what I was looking for. Anyway, nothing against people with pocket protectors. So tell me. Andrew, we're talking about fashion and technology. How does Einstein's quote apply to our very exciting topic? Well, we we come at um, this world from the technological angle, and a big piece of what we're about is user and customer experience. And the reason I think that this quote resonates with that topic is that I think in today's world, and um, it's it's no surprise to anyone, it is a world of short attention spans, real-time action, and and a, a need to please instantly. And I think this often encourages a move to action before the problem is really understood. And that's really why we resonate with Einstein's philosophy, that you really have to understand the question. And the only way that you'll ever get empathy with your users and your customers and deliver the experience that they want is by a true, true understanding of uh, either the, the problem they're trying to solve or the opportunity that they're trying to realize. And whether that relates to a physical store or an online presence, I think it's it's relevant across both. Thank you very much. Have you ever tried the idea of taking an hour to do something and just pondering the question or the challenge first before you came up with the answer and having that answer just pop in once you had the right question? Do you think it really works for most of us? I, th- I think in our case, it generally only works when you're in a workshop environment and you can actually apply, uh, apply a bit of structure to it. It takes a very brave individual, I think, to sit in a darkened room for an hour, certainly in a, in a work environment, and just uh, take the time to contemplate. But uh, I, th- I think we realize it better as when we're a collaborative group. Thank you very much, Andrew, and thank you for the interesting quote. And now let's go to Peter Akbar. We got you, Peter. You are here with us. Yeah. And Peter has sent us a wonderful quote from Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. I think I said that right. 1749 to 1832 German writer and statesman. He wrote four novels. He wrote epic and lyric poetry. I have to find out what the difference is. I think I know. He wrote prose and verse dramas, memoirs. He must have had more than one lifetime. An autobiography, literary and aesthetic criticism and treatises on botany, anatomy, and color. He was a busy guy. And here is the quote. 
Whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. I love the quote. Peter Akbar, am I calling you Peter or Pete? What's your preference? Uh, yeah, Pete is fine. Thank you, Bonnie, and thanks for the invite. Okay. Well, happy to have you here. Tell me how you picked this quote from Von Goethe for our show today, please. Sure, Bonnie. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a fantastic quote because it really it really applies to fashion. It applies to the technology side, too. So if you think of all the fashion greats, you know, the, the, the big fashion designers who came up with, uh, with big ideas, I mean, they were bold. So they created new things, whether it was, uh, you know, Levi Strauss back in, uh, what was it, 17, 1873 with his riveted jeans. You know, that was bold. Um, and and that those those moments of boldness, they do have, the, you know, the spark of genius there. And there's a certain amount of power in, in being first. And, you know, fashion is often about being first to the, to the market with, uh, you know, new styles, new clothing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, of course, you know, I know later we'll talk about this, some of the technology that goes with it. But it's absolutely a magic there. And, uh, and so I think this Goethe, uh, Goethe um, quote is all about that. It's all about being bold in fashion and, uh, and being first, uh, you know, to, to, get, to get there first. And that's, we see that so often with, with the retailers we deal with, Bonnie, you know, um, getting first, whether it's the catwalk, uh, the runway to see what's there, and then replicating that across the world. Um, is, it is all about speed as well. So turning those dreams into reality from a fashion perspective, uh, we, we see it's very important. Thank you very much. Pete, question for you. What about being bold with technology? What about, I asked this question of the other panelists, what about being mm-hmm. the first to try something? Or even, let's say, if, if you're not a big big retailer, big box retailer, and you know they're using mm-hmm. something that no company your size, let's say you're an SME, small to midsize, or even a startup, and you're saying, gee, they're doing something right. What can we do to apply that? Let's be the first in our size or maturity or footprint category to try this. Do you think that there is genius in that, or would they be seen as a me too? No, no I, I think that there is genius in that, actually, because the, uh, the little ones, the little companies, you know, they, they, they usually have the dream to become a big global player. And, and so, you know, if you take uh, some of the smaller examples, like uh, Misguided, so a women's retailer, uh, based out of the UK. And when they started, I mean, the guy who started that was Nitin Passi, started um, literally out of his own bedroom. So he saw mm. what uh, the other big players were doing in the marketplace, whether it was H&M and Zara, and uh, doing fast fast fashion. And his dream was to, was to turn it, that into rapid fashion. So not just uh, one collection a week or one collection every couple of weeks, but literally a daily feed into the stores. So even the small wow. um, entrepreneurs can be bold and, and try something new. Um, and sometimes that needs technology to support it, you know, so um, uh, to really understand the data that you're gathering about them and make decisions on that. Um, or sometimes, you know, but it, it doesn't necessarily replace the magic of understanding, um, to, you know, the power of design and the power of, because uh, ultimately what, what sells clothing and, and footwear in the fashion world is how appealing it is and whether it actually matches the needs of the customer. So, but understanding those needs and supplying those needs, I think, is absolutely uh, something there for the big players as well as the uh, the small ones. Thank you. And I just looked up fashion trends for 2018. Do you know what the color is, the official Pantone color? Those of us who, who design or used to be uh, desktop designers or, or in the graphics field know what a PMS chart is. It's a Pantone matching system. Do you know what the Pantone color of the year is for 2018, Pete? Bonnie, you should tell us all. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's ultraviolet. I don't know how that goes with Timo's palette and Andrew's palette and yours, Pete, but I'm looking at pictures. It's called Lavender <laughs> Dreams, but the color is ultraviolet, and plaid is back. Be still, my heart. I don't think so. And a lot of fringe. Oh, my. We'll, we'll touch base with that later okay. on. Thank, thank you, Pete. <laughs> don't rush out and buy lavender anytime soon. It's June. It might change already. Now, let's circle around to Dr. Timo Sandritter, who is at LaGuardia. Timo, I used to live 20 minutes from LaGuardia in Great Neck, Long Island, and it was just a quick trip unless you were on the Grand Central Parkway and it was late in the day and it was traffic. So what can I say? Uh, I know you want to get through security, so let's just cover a couple things with you and then you can mute yourself and do what you need to do. And thank you, our traveler, for being with us. Timo Sandritter, where are you exactly in the airport? You don't have to tell us which airline, but are you close to security? Are they looking at you and the other... And I, I want to know what you're... Yes. I have to admit, I actually decided to just rush through security real quick, and I'm actually sitting at the Sky Lounge. So now I'm wow. and, and ready to go. You are good. Now, what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world? And then tell us, what is LDJ Productions? And as the COO, Chief Operations Officer, what do you do there, Timo? So, uh, let's start at the beginning. You said, what's my favorite drink? Um, you know, I have to admit, I'm a... I'm a Coke Zero kind of guy. I know it sounds pretty lame, but I, I do like I do like Coke Zero. Um, I don't know how to find a gateway into LG production from that perspective, besides the <laughs> fact that every time I come up to New York, they fill the fridge with Coke Zero, which is pretty nice of them. Um, but uh, anyway, so LG production, I guess, is a it's the it's one of the leading event management companies. Um, we basically produce um, live shows, or live events, from the technical perspective. Um, we consider ourselves an agency, um, and we, of course, are in, in fashion, beauty, high-tech, uh, general media, even luxury automotive. And so um, I think the greatest part of LDJ is that we don't just you know, create events, but we really create experiences uh, for our clients. And so those experiences uh, you know, are, are long-lasting. They, they make you feel good, and it's, it's really super creative. Um, my role as the CEO is, is probably the least creative from that perspective. Um, I'm basically running the internal capabilities, you know, setting up the company for long-term success, strategy, operational components, some legal, some HR um, when it comes to running and building companies. And so, yeah, that's kind of it in a, in a nutshell. Thank you very much. I, I'm intrigued when you said uh, Coke Zero because very strangely, coincidentally, on one of my two live Game Changers shows yesterday, Timo, one of my panelists said her favorite drink in the whole world was just plain good old-fashioned classic Coke. And I haven't heard that said by any of our panelists in so long. It's just very strange. Two days in a row, I guess Coke is either making a comeback or everybody's just, I don't know, rediscovering it. There you go. Thank you, Timo. And uh, we really appreciate your traveling and being with us at the same time. Now, let's turn to Andrew Miller at Keytree. Andrew, where are you in the world today? What do you love to drink the most, the best? And what is Keytree and what do you do there? So I am in uh, Covent Garden in London, uh, which is a very uh, lovely location. I like to drink uh, champagne in the morning. Um, Hello. <laughs> and I'd like, to, I'd like to clarify that uh, before Please. you drop me off your call. Um, no. Be to know, it, it probably means a wonderful celebration. Um, so 
Uh, that, that to me is synonymous with uh, uh, fun, festivity. Uh, I do have one caveat. We, we did an, an evening store visit in the US recently, and I had the honor of selecting and collecting the champagne earlier that day. And of course, it is both sort of rude and ignorant to buy without first having tried. So occasionally, work necessitates an early sort of slurp or two, but generally, uh, champagne is only in the morning uh, when it's uh, a very special occasion. Uh, it well, is obviously three thirty in the afternoon <laughs> in Covent Garden, so in my book, it means that um, anything goes. Um, a little bit about Keytree, if I may. So, yes, we're an international, uh, award-winning design and technology consultancy and product developer. Um, I've talked already about my quotes. So, a lot about what what we do is all driven around customer experience and user experience, and that is so important because. Uh, a lot of people take those two things as being predominantly about a visual thing, whereas it's about relevance, it's about performance, and then the broader context. A, a quick example would be a wonderful piece of music, um, just to try and raise my IQ a little bit here. If you take the Valdis Four Seasons, that may be considered a beautiful work of music. Mm -hmm. um, but if you hear it in 40-second excerpts while you're waiting on a call center, it then loses all of its allure in my mind. So the context of an experience is everything. Um, and obviously, it is a very subjective thing. And in, in fashion retail, our view is that it is critical to understand relevance, performance, and broader context whenever you're looking at a, an omni-channel experience or any sort of retail application. Thank you very much. I, I have to tell you coincidentally about champagne in the morning that I just bought a, speaking of fashion, uh, I found at TJ Maxx last week on a wonderful sale, a Danskin brand. You know, they make uh, workout clothes and, and clothes for dancers and other athletes. I found a beautiful, very light fabric like a t-shirt or a nightshirt oversized and the writing on the, on the front says mornings are made for mimosas <laughs> and I bought it and it's lovely it's, it doesn't dry very well I had to put it through five dry cycles to get the moisture out of it after I washed it but it's beautiful so officially champagne as far as my my nightshirt goes Andrew officially champagne is part of my mornings as well just wanted you to know that another coincidence I don't know what we're going to come up with when we talk to Pete Akbar. Pete where are you today and what do you love to drink and tell us a little about what you do at SAP please Sure, sure. Yeah, so I just stepped off uh, stepped off a plane uh, in Heathrow. So I just um, got in from New York City. So um, uh, red eye. Um, so the first uh, thing that came to my hands uh, stepping off that plane, as you can you can well imagine, was uh, was uh, it should have been a glass of champagne, <laughs> but it was actually a very large cup of coffee. And um, so that's often to be found uh, in my hands when uh, when I've been travelling. And it also led me, you know, sort of led me think when you asked that question about, um, you know, when you think about the humble cup of coffee, and how fashionable it has become, you know, the uh, the notion that just you know, fifteen, well, so fifteen, sixteen years ago, uh, the idea of the, you know the corner Starbucks or the ubiquitous coffee shop really wasn't there, right? So I mean, and and if you think about the different ways that we can get a, a coffee fix, whether it's you know the um, an uh, individual sachet, the capsules, um, corner shop, whatever. I mean, the way that coffee has pervaded um, our lives has been quite something. And a lot of that's uh, also in terms of fashion following that kind of playbook. 
but yeah, so for, certainly for me, coffee is the, is the thing. Um, I think the only way you can make that alcoholic is if you know on a Friday night you add some whiskey to it, but that's that's a, another matter. The um, um, certainly from a, um, a role perspective at SAP, apart from drinking the coffee. Um, as our chief customer officer for fashion, um, my role is essentially to ensure that our fashion solutions fit our fashion customers uh, globally, whatever they're doing. So whether it's um, a retailer, a fashion retailer, whether it's a fashion brand or manufacturer um, or a fashion e-tailer, it's all about making sure that they get the right um, experience from our solutions and also bringing in new solutions and creating new solutions. Uh, so that's also one of our roles is making sure that we have a, a supply of new solutions for the market uh, that we're responding and listening to those customers. Um, and this also ties back into the quote right about Goethe um, in terms of uh, being bold. And uh, I think the only thing that was missing there uh, about his, 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 his quote was uh, you've got to be bold, whether it's you're creating new fashion or new software, um, but you also have to be tenacious and really believing in the dream. Um, if whether that's a fashion designer who's believing in, in what they're creating is going to be sellable. And, uh, and it's also the same for software, actually, because um, the, the journey from, uh, you know, software, from ideation, whether you're talking with customers to making a truly global product that's, uh, that's used by major players around the world or all the small guys, um, takes a lot of tenacity. And, uh, and often mm-hmm. that's a, a very up and down uh, journey, Bonnie, um, which needs lots of coffee, lots of late nights, um, but the, ultimately the goal, uh, you know, the success of getting those, uh, the software out there that does help people uh, is very satisfying, uh, just like a very good cup of coffee. There you go. Thank you very much. Thank Gentlemen, I have to okay. tell you, you don't know me, but they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. I've been saying this for years, and it's true. I think you figured out why. So all I'm allowed to have is water. I have a cool, clear mug with a pink straw today because it's not quite as sunny here in Durham, North Carolina, as it has been. But we are in, I think, our fourth consecutive day of 90-something degree Fahrenheit temperature. We had 97 on Tuesday. It's Thursday now, and I think we're just going to be in the low 90s so i'd love a little more sunshine but we could get rid of the heat but it's so i think what is today 1892 the 21st i think it's officially the longest day of the year so there you go so i tell you what in the interest of time we're going to skip the break timo i am glad you went through security because now we really need you i'm going to pick a topic from timo's list here some very something very interesting and we're going to quickly go around the table gentlemen keep your remarks to about two minutes apiece. i'll start timo off and then we'll get timo to talk then we'll bring in Andrew and Pete and then I'll pick one from Andrew's list we'll do the same and then from Pete so Timo Sandritter says this is the first time all generations are united on one platform it's the smartphone talk to me about how this impacts the fashion world as far as the intersection of fashion and tech Timo go ahead please yeah, I think uh, um, it's definitely notable. Whether you're sitting at the airport or, or walking around anywhere outside, people are constantly on their devices. And you see demographically, it's, it's really across the board at any age. And so, uh, you know, even playing in, in, in retail and in fashion in particular, um, I think um, if you find the marriage between technology and fashion now and, and how you get all of the generations on that, where you, you really provide... Um, a platform um, for, for the moms and the kids and the dads and, and everybody else 
for the, the Cena buying now component for the fast fashion for really having the opportunity to 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 walk by a store, take a picture, and somewhat upload it and and and, and purchase it. Um, I think you definitely have a game changer there. Um, I do believe that most of our communication today is not verbal anymore. I do believe it's it's on the smartphone, and uh, so whether it relates to fashion and, and, and trends in particular, or even the retail component of it, um, I do think we need to we need to understand what that what that actually means. Um, you know, if I remember back growing up in, in Germany, going to a store with my mom, and you know, you purchasing whatever sweater I wanted, or trying to convince her to purchase the sweater I wanted. Um, it was very different. It took a lot longer in time. And now I can, you know, simply send a picture and say, hey, I would love to buy this. Or my daughter sends me a picture. Can you order this from whatever, whatever retail, retailer it's from? And then and I can and do it right there and then on my smartphone within a few minutes. And so I, I do believe in terms of efficiency and effectiveness, it, it definitely changed the way we, we purchase items um, versus it was 30 years ago when I was growing up or 40 years ago. Thank you very much, Timo. Good start to that topic. I'm very intrigued by this. Let's go to Andrew Miller at Keytree. Andrew, thoughts on what Timo just shared with us, please? Yeah, well, I think just to take it on um, to the next level of, of our thinking, which would be, first of all, um, the, the fact that the, the devices are now so available means that you, you don't just use them for one purpose. You can collaborate frequently um, with, say, one of your favorite retailers. So mm-hmm. I think it, it enables an um, ongoing conversation to happen between a retail and a retail store, a, a retailer and a retail store, and then their customers. Um, and that, that's different from it just being a single end-to-end process of, of thinking about buying something and then going through with it as a transaction. It becomes a living and breathing um, relationship. I think we're also seeing, we've talked about the different generations, but then within stores, people are using the very same technology. So it's actually then sort of two sides of the same coin. You have people who have um, obviously apps, loyalty apps and things like this. And then you've got um, individuals, typically store associates who are within the store, um, which mirrors then uh, the the sort of uh, views and uh, augments the views that their, their customers are seeing. So not only across the generation, but also then across the divide of customer and retailer. Thank you very much. Pete Akbar, love to get your thoughts on this. Please join us. Thank you, Bonnie. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's huge. I think, um, you know, both both Andrew and um, Timo are right. You know, it, it certainly spans all the generations um, in terms of usability. But And I think it's also the new business models that are afforded because of mobility. Because, you know, um, of course, you know, buying stuff on a phone, yes. But uh, it, it, we're seeing new business models unfold Um not practically every day, but nearly. And, and you know, an example is um, um, you take a fashion show. Uh, we, we did a fashion show in New York uh, recently, um, New York Fashion Week, and the model dresses. And so as, as they walked past you, um, your mobile phone would pick that up and say, hey, this, is, this model's wearing this. Uh, and you could love and like what was going on. And uh, the, the, with several hundred people doing that at once, it meant that the designers could get a real-time view of what, uh, uh, of what, 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 styles are loved and liked um for the first time that's an incredibly difficult thing to do and it's it's uh, but the um uh but for the designer it meant that they could uh, really have a new business model in terms of understanding what was liked and loved so don't make stuff that you don't you can't sell and, and also find out around the world what people are, are liking 
uh, as well as they know where to put products. So I think the new business models that are afforded by mobile technology are, are stunning. Um, and I think they also go um, up, up, you know, the supply chain. I mean, even when you, when you start looking at um, how farmers making cotton, for example, can mm-hmm. use mobile devices to verify the, their products. And I know we'll talk about a bit about that later, Bonnie, but I think I really think it's a game changer. And we're seeing more and more business solutions come into the mobile area, whether it's warehousing, in the retail store, as Andrew says, um, or, or in completely new ways, such as, uh, you know, the uh, make do your runway from your, your bedroom almost, uh, you know, not just the fashion show. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Uh, in the interest of time, Timo, I'm going to jump to a topic from Andrew's list, and let's go around the table on that. Andrew, you say making technology can make the store associate a great brand ambassador, a font of all wisdom. I love that term. And the customer's best friend, technology can equip the store associate with the tools and resources to optimize their interactions with their customers and clients and probably with everybody in the store, with their colleagues in the store, I can imagine, and with management. I think it's it's a, a great communication tool. So talk to me about this. From your perspective in retail, how many stores really are already understanding this, not just implementing it, but how many stores, how many big retailers or small, from your purview, actually get the importance of this peter yeah absolutely yeah no i think um it's 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 it started to happen and i think um, really successful retailers have uh, reimagined their business in terms of mobility um because you know typically uh, you know the, the if I step back a few years bonnie when we'd go to a store and you'd say i want to find out you'd ask the store associate and say uh, uh, you know tell me more about that camera or tell me more about that fashion product right and all they would do is read the label Okay, highly frustrating. I could have done that. So, but when you've got a, a fully empowered store associate who can tell you more about the product than you do, that's number one, understands what it's doing, understands the capabilities of that product. Um, and then, to, you know, then it can lead on to follow on things like, well, let me order that for you. It'll be, we can pick that up in a, in a few minutes. Um, and then did you know that we could, that there's this crossover sales because if you, people have bought this other thing that goes with that. So we're seeing folks also use mobile devices to upsell and give the customer a, a really good experience in terms of uh, of understanding the product, uh, buying the product uh, in, in those in those ways too, um, and in other ways in those sort of more mundane areas, even in terms of um, stock checks and um, you know underst- making sure that you understand what's in your store, the mobile device becomes very very important as well. Um, but certainly that clienteling thing, I think we're seeing is a is a very powerful thing, and I know Andrew will have a few comments to make on that as well. Thank you very much, Pete. Let's go around to Andrew. We were talking about the comment you made in your notes that making the store associate a grant, great brand ambassador, a font of all wisdom and the customer's best friend by equipping them with technology and how many stores are actually understanding the value of equipping the sales associate, the person on the floor in the brick and mortar store. Andrew, what's your thought? Yeah, well, I mean, we're seeing a significant uptake um, as organizations look to do either one of those three areas that I described or all three. Um, so the, I think that the first area, certainly in retail um, fashion, is this, the customer's best friend. So the ability for organizations to build these personal relationships between the, the store associate and the customer. Um, and then if you like, at the other end of the scale where you're getting the, the font of all wisdom is where... We have seen um, with, with some of the research that we've done of where 
shoppers are disappointed and customers are disappointed at the lack of insight that um, mm -hmm. uh, store associates are, are often able to give them for the reason being that you can do so much research online now that um, it, it is a challenge for a store associate to be able to actually provide additional insight uh, and add value to the, the dialogue with a customer. So again, we're starting to see these two areas predominantly of where um, retailers, certainly at the high end of fashion retail, are starting to try and look to augment that customer experience. Thank you very much. Uh, Timo, I was just about to come around the table to you, and we got Andrew back. Timo, thoughts, please? Yeah, so, uh, you know, from a com consumer perspective, I really enjoy when I go to a store and actually deal with a professional that can advise me on certain products. Of course, we're now... You know, we have more information than ever at our hand with our, with our smartphones where we can look up the particular product and its usage and so forth. And so, of course, it's, and I think Andrew pointed it out as well, it's very, very challenging uh, for even our store associates to be more educated than we can be just using our smartphones. Um, but I think the, the combination still lays within both where uh, when we go to a store, um, we kind of know what we want, but we want additional information, maybe inside information, uh, things like the consumer behavior or the, the customer feedback, and, and in particular how the stores have dealt with that kind of stuff, and then even get information in that particular store, sort of like you know how many of those products they have, where they're located, and so um, you know any any retail store today you can go and, and, and every associate almost walks around with one of those smartphone devices and tells you exactly uh, how much uh, how, or how many products are on the um, are in the warehouse, how many, how many uh, different peripheral components you can add to the product and so forth. And so from a, from a user experience perspective, of course, I enjoy the, the vast uh, amount of information that's available because of technology. Thank you very much, Timo. And I'm going to move on to something in Pete's list. Um, very interesting. And I have a quick sidebar for all three of you. About a year and a half ago, I was casting for a play I had written, and I needed Mardi Gras-style masks for dancers who were going to be performing but not speaking in my play. It was a Valentine's Day masked ball, and offstage, actors were voicing what the dancers were thinking about the person they were matched up with by the sponsors of the dance. That's really it in a nutshell. And I needed beautiful masks. So I went to a, a fairly large party type of a retailer on Long Island. And I walked in and said, uh, can you help me find the masks? I don't see what I'm looking for. And they said, well, we're out of stock because there were color wars at the camps, the day camps and summer camps on Long Island. And I said, well, when will you be getting more in? They took me to the back of the store and they showed me 20 large cardboard boxes piled almost up to the ceiling and several, several rows of boxes, several lines. And they said, we don't know. We haven't opened the boxes yet. Maybe they're here. Maybe they're not. Call back in a week. Are you all in shock? You bet. <laughs> you you bet. That's yes. Amazing. So what did I end yeah. up doing? You know what I ended up doing. I ended up going online and Fine. finding them on Amazon and bought them from an Asian retailer who had them shipped at a good price with a huge selection, and they were in my hands 48 hours later. But 
I will yeah. never forget that experience. I did come back a couple days later just out of curiosity. Instead of 20 boxes, there were 30 boxes piled in the back. And the people said, we haven't opened the boxes yet. We don't know no, what's why? inside. Maybe. And this is not a small podunk retailer. I'm not going to mention their name, but they're pretty big in New York. So, duh, that's all I have to say. Pete Akbar, I'm looking at your, your notes here. Here's something very interesting. You say, I believe we are at the first tangible stage of the next industrial revolution in fashion, just like the jackered loom of 1804. I guess we weren't around for that. New tech in 3D printing, laser seaming, and 3D knitting really will change fashion forever. We only have a few minutes, but Pete, you have to tell me what all this means, please. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it is the first stage of this next industrial revolution, and it's going to—it's as big as the Jacquard loom, which is which is kind of automated knitting and automated knitting fabrics with complex patterns. So that was a big deal back in 1804. But um, there's the new technology now, which uh, which many um, of our customers have been working on. Um, and you know, when, when you talk about say a 3D printing, this is the ability, for example, to print the the, sh- the heel of a shoe or print the heel cap or the toe cap of a shoe. And then when you talk about 3D knitting, this is actually um, knitting something with a 3D shape, with an sh- engineered shape in it. Um, but normally it would take um, multiple pieces of, um, of cloth sewn together in a certain pattern to give you a shape. Mm-hmm. So 3D knitting actually does that for you in one go. Now, if you combine the two technologies together, you can actually essentially 3D print and 3D knit a shoe. And imagine that sitting in the D.C. Um, it's close by. It's close by my city where I'm actually, you know, selling stuff. And it's responding to signals from retail and from e-com. So the system knows what I should be making on that day for the demand, right? So that's a, a major turnaround. So, um, yeah, I've got to sort of do some upfront thinking about, you know, what my heels are, what my designs are, and everything else, but I can actually be super responsive. And it's the same when it comes to this laser seaming and laser finishing of, uh, of, of Aperol, jeans, jeanswear. So um, if you, you read the headlines recently with Levi's coming out with their um, laser seamed jeans and laser finished jeans, this is um, a quite astonishing, well, the ability to take a pair of jeans, like a blank, and make it something that you want to wear in, in, a, in a style. So make a, a 501 look like a 50-year-old. A 501 with a different pattern on it and they can do this in seconds now instead of two or three in, a, in an hour you can get uh, li- literally one done in 90 seconds um so you're making blanks and again you it's about responding to the consumer so giving the consumer what they want so instead of actually making you know tens of thousands of stuff at the beginning of the season getting it in those boxes that you mentioned bonnie right and having it sitting in mm-hmm. the store for someone to walk in and sell it to buy it what we can actually do now is say okay I can actually, I, I want something, I can actually literally make it nearby and then get it to the consumer and, and react in advance. I'm using things like um, uh, artificial intelligence, um, machine learning. You can actually predict what the style should be and, and therefore make stuff close by that, uh, that really delights the consumer and makes them very happy because uh, they're, they're seeing what's what they want in the store or even personalizing uh, products as well, you know, whether it's 3D printing, sorry, um, printing stuff on a T-shirt, the T-shirt that you wanted about the mimosas, for example. Imagine if you could go mm-hmm. to the store and say, well, actually, I want my slogan on that one and walk out with it, you know, literally minutes later or have that waiting for you at home or in your hotel. So that would be great. We see that um, changing the, yeah, I mean, we see that changing the game, literally. 
um, bringing a lot of manufacturing closer to the consumer. Um, doesn't necessarily replace mass manufacturing, which I think is always going to be there, but it's 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 certainly the first step in that revolution, and uh, very exciting because uh, it really makes it'll give us products that people really want, um, much more personalised. So instead of just that single shoe that I you know I've I've, I've can customise my shoe to a mm-hmm. million degree and make sure that I get exactly what I want. So would I ever the, love uh, to? Yeah. <laughs> I have a terrible time <laughs> buying shoes. I would love to customize shoes. My right foot is a little bit different than my left, actually, a lot, and it's it's very painful buying shoes. I would love that. By the way, here's the article from CNBC March of this year. Levi's is replacing its workers with lasers, automating the process of making blue jeans look worn out. It will reduce the number of harsh chemical compounds Levi uses. The com- company says it uses a few thousand chemical formulations, which Project FLX would reduce to just a few dozen and it has a pledge to remove this is a side benefit remove all hazardous chemicals from manufacturing by 2020 wow we are at the stage of the show where we call it the crystal ball predictions round it's really a lightning round and i have just enough time to give you each 60 seconds so thank you pete for that great insight and i'm just going to invite the three of you back because this is a good conversation we need to continue it but let's go around the table to dr timo sandritter i hope you're not boarding a plane yet timo but if you wouldn't mind giving us 60 seconds on your view of the future of fashion will tech dress us for success why don't we look between 2020 and 2025 timo go ahead 60 seconds all yours all right uh, i don't even need that long but uh, yeah so i believe my prediction is that uh, and of course there's still a proof of concept in terms of time frame is still out there but i believe that the majority of all the brand platforms in the fashion industry shows that there will be some kind of purchasing technology associated with it and so, whether it's New York Fashion Week or, or any other, any of that are big ones, um, I believe that what we traditionally had, that you know, you had the shows, and then the week afterwards um, was the market week, where where the buyers went in and started, you know, placing their orders. I think some of that, for the majority of time, will be replaced completely with a, an immediate purchasing technology component, um, because we are so focus on instant gratification. I think it's the same mm-hmm. with, with fashion as well. We want it and we want it now. Yes, we do. That goes to a question I was going to ask, but we're out of time, is the lot size of one make for me, the make for me generation. I think it's coming back across all demographic cohorts. Andrew Miller, 60 seconds. What do you see coming in the fashionable crystal ball, which probably the crystals are probably created by a laser something or other and they don't even exist it's just a figment of our imagination andrew miller 60 seconds what do you see in the future well i'd like to focus on how i think we'll use technology so i think digital experiences and it's really to peter's point earlier will become a a part of the fabric pardon the pun of of all that Mm -hmm. we create so whether it be a cashless transactions frictionless checkouts all those sorts of things will continue to evolve and that, over time, then, will take us back to what really makes a differentiation for a, a retailer um, a, as opposed to what could just be noise. So I'd like to finish where I started and say it, it all really comes down to understanding the problem statement and how you can differentiate yourselves to create that experience for your customer. Thank you very much. Pete Akbar. I saved exactly 60 seconds. No more for you, please. What is your prediction? Great. Thanks, Bonnie. So, so my prediction is that uh, the intelligent fashion enterprise is here, right? And it will be a game changer for fashion. So it's the combination of technologies 
that we've been talking about in your show today, whether it's the 3D printing and the 3D knitting and laser seaming, combined with the insights that uh, and the, the mobility that Andrew's been talking about, combined with the upfront uh, fashion show technology that... Uh, that um, Timo was discussing, all of that will come together to basically drive, help enterprises intelligently drive uh, the distribution, uh, the creation and distribution of styles globally. So this will be using a whole bunch of, of technologies we're seeing emerging, artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, to really understand the consumer much, much better. But we don't, not in a creepy way, but in a much better and deeper way. Um, and make sure that, 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 that fashion companies are only making stuff that really sells so that we don't end up with, you know, two and a half billion pounds of apparel chucked in landfills every year, right? So there's a massive gain to be made in, uh, in sustainability there by having intelligent enterprises to give and create a fashion that is really needed and really uh, going to be used uh, globally. So that's where, where I see it going. It's going to be the intelligent fashion enterprise coming into play, Bonnie. Thank you. I like that very much. I want to thank our three guests from all over the world. We had a couple technical issues, technical issues. I'm still having a tongue twister here, but very grateful to be speaking with Dr. Timo Sandritter, LDJ Productions, Andrew Miller at Keytree, and Pete Akbar at SAP. And a shout out to my colleague Jörg Kusters at SAP for putting this wonderful panel together. Great topic, Jörg. Very, very happy to speak with your guests. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Actually, Pete, I'd like a customer custom laser-seamed seatbelt that says AKA Radio Red is on the air. I'd like that on my seatbelt. So when we get around to 3D printing seatbelts, that's the one I want. Or mimosas. No, you can't drive and drink. Okay, so fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Timo, just like Andrew, just like Pete, and just like Jurg and Aaron at Voice America World Talk Radio. Thank you very much. Everybody have a great day. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game in Consumer Industries, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.